0: Well, good morning again, and uh, glad you're here today. We are in a series called For the Life of the World, and uh, we're examining one key question. What is your salvation, what is my salvation actually for? What does it mean to live it out? And uh, we've looked at the example of our lives being lives of those who live in exile. Uh, We've looked at uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, where God sends his people, in that case, due to, to judgment, but he sends them into exile with instructions for how to live while they're in exile. And then when we get to the get to the New Testament, Peter tells us and Paul tells us both uh, that we we're to live as exiles in this place. We've been sent here by God, as we like to say it in our mission statement. We've been sent here uh, to love people and invite them to follow Jesus with us. Because God's instruction for the people in exile was to multiply, not to decrease, uh, but to to bless the world that they were sent to, not to tear it down, not to fight it, but to to bless those who are there, for in their welfare is your own welfare. And that's what we've been looking at. And we looked at it in the realm of our families, in the realm of our work and our vocation. And today we're going to step up even further away and look at it in terms of justice, and in terms of the order that God has put into place in this world. And ultimately, it's his economy of order, or his plan of order in this world. And uh, each of his small economies of, of family and of work and of all these other things are meant to work together in this greater economy that he has ordered so that there would be flourishing for humanity on this earth. Those who love him and those who don't, because that's an act of his common grace. So we're going to explore order this morning and uh, our role in it and uh, how that plays out in terms of justice and even maybe something you've never thought of before in terms of not just justice, but hospitality as a way to show and live out justice. So with that, let me uh, let me pray. We'll dive into the word together and uh, we'll see what God's word has to say and explore this idea of, of participating in God's economy of order. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. And thank you, excuse me, for your grace to us, Lord. Uh, thanks that you've set up a plan, uh, for all time to reconcile all things to yourself, to, uh, uh have all things come under a subjection to your son, Jesus, and to work together for the good of the world and for your glory and for our joy. Uh, teach us, continue to teach us these things, I pray. And uh, might you work in our church in such a way, Lord, that uh, we would truly live uh, the lives that you've called us to live as those who are in exile, uh, waiting for our full redemption, but, but not waiting to bring uh, goodness and redemption to those around us. I pray against the enemy. He loves to tear down the things that you've instituted, Lord. We see that all over the place. And uh, I pray against the servants, their works, and effects. And instead, Holy Spirit, would you uh, would you teach us, and would you guide me, even as as I teach this morning? Um, change us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, maybe one of. The most common and well-known passages in all of Scripture, as it relates to human authority and human order in the world, comes in the book of Romans, chapter thirteen. Do you got your Bible? Let's turn to Romans chapter thirteen together. And uh, one of the things Paul talks about is that God calls us to submit to and to honor the authorities of this world. Did you know that? Who are some of the authorities in your life? Who is your boss? Who is uh, uh, some of the government leaders that come to mind? Who are other forms of authority in your life? Students, uh, your parents. God calls us to submit to and honor those authorities. And here's what, here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 13. Let's just read this together. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God. God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what's good, and you'll receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. Attending to this very thing, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. Well, the first thing I want you to see this morning is, is that God uses order and justice to help people flourish. He establishes order for the flourishing of the world. For human flourishing, that's why God has established order and authority. And that's why Paul tells us we ought to submit to and obey and respect and honor those authorities. Uh, sometimes I think we think of authority as just a drag. I don't want to submit. I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to follow those rules. I don't want to. I don't want to. <laughs> But really, you know, Paul's just told us, he says, if we do that, if we rebel against those human authorities, ultimately we're rebelling against God because he's the one who set them up and he set them up for the flourishing of the world. Uh, I wonder, let's go back through this together and just kind of unpack this passage a little bit with that idea in mind that God establishes order for the flourishing of the world. Look at verse one with me. He says, let every person, uh, how many people does that include? All of us, right? Every person is every one of us. There's, there's no exceptions. There's no, uh, no loopholes in God's law and God's word and his plan and his design where we get to step out and not obey authority or, or the governmental authorities of our lives or of our world. Every person, to me that seems pretty clear, every person, and look what we're supposed to do, be subject to the governing authorities, Now, I think these principles apply to other authorities in our lives. But I think Paul particularly has in mind uh, the government of his day. And for all who would read it, then the government of our day. Whatever government you live under, God has established for human flourishing. Imagine if there was no government, if there was no rule of law. What would you have? You'd have anarchy, wouldn't you? And if you have anarchy, what rules and reigns supreme? Evil. (laughs) Evil does and that's so God has established government for our good he 's established rulers for our good. It says in the Old Testament over and over that He raises up and removes rulers at his well right he He does these things for our good and for the good of the world. See he says for there, there is no authority except from god god 's the one who establishes order all order on the earth. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Is that hard to take for anybody? I mean, when it's a good authority, that's easy to take, right? If it's a good ruler or if it's the political party I like that's in power, that's an easy one. But what about when it's a wicked authority? What about when it's uh, the party I didn't vote for? What does Paul say? Every authority has been instituted by God. He's sovereign and in control of these things. You know, sometimes you see this often in the Old Testament. God will establish uh, good rulers and good uh, governments for, uh, to bless his people. But other times he'll actually establish a wicked ruler into power. And he does this for a couple of reasons. Sometimes it's uh, to, to, to take us through a trial so that we would grow to be more like him and so that his people would grow and flourish. Even in the midst of opposition and, and persecution. Other times, it's an act of punishment towards his people. And he's disciplining them and, and re- hoping that they would repent and turn back to him. See, there, there isn't anybody who's ever come to power, even in a nation like ours, where, where we think, oh, we're in control, we vote, where God hasn't established those authorities. There is no authority except from God, Paul says. We either believe that or we don't, right? And those that exist have been instituted by him, whether it's good or bad. Therefore, Paul says, verse 2, whoever resists the authorities resists What God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. That's a strong statement. To to resist government authorities is to resist God's will and thus bring judgment onto yourself. Um, you, You see this all over the place, right? If you resist the authority and you break the law and you get caught and thrown in jail, what did you do? You incurred judgment. And whose fault was it? Was it the government's fault? No, it's your fault because you broke the law. Now, sometimes you're oppressed wickedly, and you can't you can't escape that. And I'm not ignoring those truths, but the reality is, most of the time, when we resist those authorities, uh, we're bringing judgment on ourselves. When when I go 85 and a 45, and I get a $200 ticket and have to do defensive driving school, I haven't done that, by the way. I haven't done defensive driving school, but I haven't done 85 and 45. Well, maybe, maybe I have, but I've never gotten a ticket for it. <laughs> See, I'm incurring judgment on myself, aren't I? It's my own fault. Anyone who would resist what God has appointed, um, resist God. It begs a good question, though. What, what about evil authorities, then? Should I obey and submit to them? What if there's an authority that God's appointed who is wicked who is evil? Should I, should I obey them and submit to them? Well, here's what I would say: the test is, um, if obedience to the government or a ruler or any authority means direct disobedience to God for you, then you rebel against them and you obey God because He's a higher authority. But if obedience to them, even evil, Leaders is not does not result in direct disobedience for you to God. Then you submit to them. You submit to them. There's an example, a great example of this in the Old Testament. You can turn with me if you want to to Exodus chapter one, and uh, maybe you've you've heard of these two ladies, uh, Shifra and Puah. They were midwives of the Hebrew women. And the king of Egypt uh, said to these Hebrew midwives, because uh, the, what had happened is God's people had multiplied greatly in Egypt, and there was a new pharaoh in power who was threatened by them, and so he starts systematically uh, oppressing God's people. He's a wicked ruler, a w- wicked wicked authority, and he's oppressing God's people, and he's trying to kill the children so that they wouldn't multiply even further, and then potentially rise up against him. Uh, finally he says the, the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives one of whom was named Shifra and the other one uh, Puah. it's curious that their personal names are mentioned but Pharaoh's real name is never mentioned uh, when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birthstool if it's a son you shall kill him but if it's a daughter she shall live what should they do? That's a wicked ruler giving a wicked command that would clearly result in direct disobedience to God, wouldn't it? To take someone else's life? Well, they should rebel, and they're right to. It says, but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives, and he said to them, well, why have you done this and let the male children live? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, because... um, I don't, I'm not going to get into the ethical argument of is what they said here right or wrong. Because um, they didn't go right directly to him and say, well, because God said not to kill children. They said, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They're vigorous and they give birth before the midwife comes to them. They're just, they're, they're popping them out before we can get there, Pharaoh. <laughs> so God dealt well with the midwives. Look, choose to obey, choose blessing. And the, the, the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, God gave them families. That's a pretty clear one, right? A government official tells you to kill someone uh, unjustly like that, then uh, you disobey that leader, that authority, because why? Because God is your greater authority and he says, thou shalt not kill. Right? Clear? Okay, how about this one? What about uh, paying taxes? Well, Should I pay my taxes? Because our government will use some of those funds potentially to do wicked and evil things. What do I do? What do I do? Do I pay them or do I not pay them? Well, hold that thought. Let's keep reading because Paul actually addresses that in a moment and we'll come back and answer that question. He goes on in verse 3, he says, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? He says, Then do what is good, and you'll receive his approval. Check this out in verse 4. For he is God's servant for your good. Later, he calls government officials ministers of God. That they're acting on God's behalf. They're his representatives on this earth. Now, You could look at a lot of politicians in our world and you go, I don't know that they really represent God all that well. Well, guess who they'll answer to that for? Answer to for that. You got what I'm saying? Uh, They'll answer to God. They're His servants, they're His ministers. And they're there for our good, so we should obey them because submitting to them is submitting to God. But if you do wrong, look what Paul says in verse 4 be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. I think uh, most commentators, too, believe here Paul's talking about capital punishment in this case. He doesn't bear the sword in vain. Uh, he is the servant of God, he's an avenger. He or she's an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection. Not only to avoid God's wrath, in other words, wrath at the hand of the government, but also for the sake of conscience, because that's what's right. God's established these things for our good. He's established order for human flourishing. It's a good thing that we have government and order and all of those things. And now back to our other question. Look at verse 6. He says, for because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. There he calls them ministers. Ministers. They're the ones who are uh, to use those resources for good. I believe they're the ones who will be held accountable for how those things are used. Pay all then to what is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. See, here's the deal. Um, even though a w- the government might do wicked things with the money that I give them in part of my taxes, that doesn't free me from paying taxes. Guess when Paul wrote this? He wrote this at a time when Nero was emperor over Rome, and Nero uh, led maybe the most wicked empire ever in the history of Rome. And yet, what does Paul say? Pay your taxes to Rome. How about Jesus, when, uh, at the, in, in the same way, when he says, uh, Pay to Caesar, he says, Who's on, Whose face is on the coin? Because they ask if we should pay taxes. And he says, What to do with it? Pay taxes, give to Caesar what's Caesar? Pay your taxes. Listen, I'll deal with him for how that money's used. But your responsibility is to submit to those authority and pay your taxes. Because if you don't, to rebel against human authority is to rebel against God. And you're bringing judgment on yourself when the tax man knocks on the door, right? Now, with that being said, that doesn't mean Paul isn't saying you have to pay as much tax as you possibly could. Right, we're kind of in tax season. Maybe some of you are working on those right now, before April, if you're ahead of the game. Otherwise, it'll come in a couple months. It'll be due. And uh, if if you can get, if you can legally find exemptions and things like that, where you need, where you can pay less tax, that's fine. You're obeying the authorities and the rules that have been put in place. Don't cheat on them. Pay them. Pay what you owe. That makes sense. Listen, God's done that for our good. That res- there-, there are good things that result in us doing that and in obeying authority in general that-, that government provides for us. And all of that is part of human flourishing and God's plan for human flourishing. The point here is simply that God establishes order for the flourishing of the world. Did you know Peter actually talks about the exact same thing in 1 Peter chapter 2? In 1 Peter chapter 2, I'm gonna actually start a couple verses before he says this, but I do it because look at how he how he how he frames the argument. He says in verse 11 of chapter 2, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Again, he's addressing us as exiles, as sojourners. i always thought that would be a good name for a church. Just because uh, we're, we're just, it'd be a good reminder that we're not here to stay. We're on our way through. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they see your good deeds and glorify God. On the day of visitation, Look at verse 13. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him, sent by God to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Every human institution, marriage, family, government, church, be subject to those things. Each of them are designed by God to work together in, in this beautiful harmony that brings flourishing to the world. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. I love, verse 17 is a good one to memorize. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, love your church, fear God, honor the emperor. Notice Peter didn't say honor the emperor as long as he's in the political party of your choice. Isn't it? I mean, uh, wouldn't it be great if maybe as Christians we would obey this a little better? Maybe the last 10 years wouldn't be quite as divisive in our country. No matter who he is, honor him because uh, God appoints all authorities. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. There you go, in case you thought I was making it up. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Well, I've done all. I kind of made my point here, but. God has established order for human flourishing and so we're to submit to that order and to those authorities because when we do, God promises blessing. And it leads into the second point that as we do that, we're actually working with God then to cultivate human flourishing. We're, we're to work with him to cultivate human flourishing and, and one of the ways we do that is by submitting to, the, to, to authorities that he's established but another way we do that is by removing barriers Think of some of the barriers in life for people to flourish. There's social barriers, there's economic barriers. Uh, Quite frankly, there's religious barriers that keep people from flourishing, keep people from experiencing good and God's grace. As as exiles, Peter said we should be subject for the Lord's sake, he said in chapter two there, to, to every human institution, by subjecting ourselves in this way, we're, we're participating in God's plan for it. Well, in removing barriers, I'll, I want to look with you. You may be, if you heard this verse, uh, Micah 6, 8. There used to be an old song when I was like in uh, middle school and high school based on this passage. But Micah 6, 8 says this. Uh, he's told you, O man, what's good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Remember that song? He has told you, oh man, what the Lord requires. And it goes on to do justice, to love mercy, or in this case, love kindness. It's the same word. To walk humbly with God. Um, that's what God requires. See, uh, the, the lead up to this this verse, in, in verse 6 of chapter 6, uh, the the, the people haven't gotten a grasp on God's grace yet. And they keep thinking that somehow uh, they can bargain with him to earn his favor. That if, if they do enough good things, that somehow he'll, he'll show favor to them. Because he goes, uh, well, like they could buy their forgiveness. What shall I come with before the Lord? And what, with what shall I bow myself before God on high? Shall, shall I come before him with burnt offerings? With calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Like this thought that somehow with their good works or with their good gifts, that they could earn God's favor, his forgiveness somehow. Look what, look what Micah says. He says, he's told you, O oh man, what's good. And what the Lord requires of you, it's to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. Let's unpack these a little bit. To do justice. What, what is justice? Let's define that. How would you define that? Maybe your translation just simply says, if you have the New Living Translation, to do what is right. In a nutshell, that's justice. Doing what's right by someone. Doing what's right according to God's word. That's bringing and exercising justice in the world. Now, uh, sometimes justice means Getting what you deserve, sometimes it means not getting what you deserve. Right? Depending on what is right in that situation. And notice he also tells us to love kindness or uh, to love mercy. That word can also be translated as. And, And that's exactly what mercy is. Mercy is when I don't get what I do deserve. It's the flip side of the coin of grace. Grace is when I get what I don't deserve. Mercy is when I don't get what I do deserve. I wonder, do you love mercy and kindness with people? That's what the Lord requires of you, that you don't always give them what they deserve, but you show mercy, you show kindness, and you love to do that. And I think that's a way of acting justly at times. And then finally, to walk humbly. Humility is, is when I know my place, knowing who I am and who God is. Knowing I bear his image and I'm called to reflect him and represent him. And, and it's also this idea of walking faithfully with God. Of walking with him. Enoch walked with God in, in Genesis, right? And then he was no more in Genesis 5. So we're to do justice, do what's right, to love mercy, to not always dish out to people what they deserve, but to show mercy to them and to walk faithfully with our God who. Who, who always does justly and shows us incredible, unending mercy. In fact, as the writer, as Jeremiah writes in Lamentations, his mercies to us are new every morning. That's what God requires of us, to, to live out our faith. Do you know Jesus actually quotes this verse when he's dishing out woe to the Pharisees? The, the Pharisees, in, in Matthew chapter 23, uh, they, had, they had established all these rules, and Jesus is telling them, woe to you, Woe to you. And he gets to verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you you hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law. Here here he says in justice and mercy and faithfulness. These are what you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You're going through all the motions of religion, but you're not really living it out. Isn't it true that we can do that and often do? They'd been going about all their business of religious activity, but missing the point. I wonder how often we go about all our churchy activity and we come on Sunday morning and we go about our business, but then when we get into the week, we don't really do justice and we don't really love mercy, especially towards other people. And we we don't always walk humbly and faithfully with God. I wonder what would that look like to to live out this verse in our world today. I I was thinking, you know, when you think of justice, I don't know about you, but do you think of like big big social issues of our day when you think of bringing justice to situations? Does anybody think that? For whatever reason, that's where my mind went. And I thought, what are some big issues of justice in our day? And one that, for whatever reason, keeps coming across uh, my computer screen as I'm reading is, have you heard of DACA? I'm going to ruffle some feathers this morning. Are you ready? Have you heard of that? You know what it stands for? Deferred action on childhood arrivals. So immigrants who've come as a child to the United States, that they would defer action on them. They deferred action on, in, in terms of uh, deporting them back to their home country. And there's this thing referred to as the Dreamer Act where there would be amnesty granted to these people who've grown up in this nation, were never brought here on their own accord, but were brought here by their parents and have grown up here and this is the only place they've ever known as home. And there's a big debate going on in in our world over the last few months and even years for that matter of what do we do with people in this situation? Well, clearly, they broke the law. We need to do justice. They're here. they're here not according to the law. They're here illegally, and they need to, to be sent back, right? Do they? What would what would God call us to do? What would it mean to do right by a person like that? I read the story of a man who's, who's my age. He's 39 years old in Detroit. He was brought here when he was 8 years old. He now has a family with two, two children. And two weeks ago, he was sent back uh, to Guatemala, I believe, He doesn't speak Spanish. His kids now have no dad. His wife now has no husband. They've lost the provision for their family. What's it look like to do justice to those people? And on one side of the spectrum, you have people cheering, yeah, that's what's right. And sadly, you know what? I see a lot of Christians doing that. I don't think that's right, loved ones. Where's What about the second piece of loving mercy? What would it look like? Listen, the, according to strict justice and law, should they be deported? Yeah. But what about mercy, not getting what they deserve? What about loving kindness, like Micah tells us to? Aren't there situations like that where maybe doing justice is loving mercy? Doing what's right is loving mercy you know me that if you're here like for the first time this morning it's like once every 2 years i make any kind of political statement so don't don't think that we're going to turn up but this is this is a this is i think it clearly illustrates this passage doesn't it uh, what would it mean to walk humbly do you do you, humbly knowing your knowing your place do you, do you realize that you too are in a place that's not your home that's where you live that's where i live and I'll be honest. This issue has probably stirred up in my heart a lot because of a friend of mine named Ricardo, who oversees a ton of Hispanic churches in the Chicagoland area. And these churches are being devastated by some of the things happening. Families are literally being torn apart of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, okay, there's the law of what's just and what's right, but there's also mercy. And all I'm asking is what's the balance of those two, and where does the church come into play in that see that it's tricky now isn't it it's 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 really hard to follow the Lord and say, oh, what does it mean to to do justice but to at the same time love mercy and to walk humbly with him as an exile yourself in this place, God calls you to do that and to be that and to participate with him in that for the sake of human flourishing and for the good and for the life of the world. Amen? We could look at a whole bunch of other examples of that, even straight from the headlines today, but there's just one to get you thinking and uh, maybe get you riled up at me, I don't know. Let's talk about this, that's a big scale. Let's bring this down to you personally. How do you do this on a personal level? How do you show justice? How do you do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with God on a day-to-day level? I would contend that it means living out the biblical command of hospitality. You're like, what? I haven't thought of justice as being hospitable. What are you talking about? At the start, I, I, listen, I believe this. The start to helping human flourishing and justice on a personal level is Hospitality. Do you know what literally that word means? Have you heard of you've heard of uh, the city of Philadelphia, right? It's the city of what? Brotherly love. The Greek word Philadelphus is as is, is Philo of, of 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 love or friendship, and adelphos brother. Philadelphia to love to befriend your brother. That's easy, isn't it? It's easy to befriend and to love your brother. Well, depending after you get out of the house and grow up, it's easy to love. You know what I'm saying, to love someone who's like you. Do you know, uh, there's another word in, that shows up in scripture called, uh, instead of uh, philadelphos, it's Philosanos. And it's that same uh, philo or phylos uh, of, of love or friendship, but then there's uh, zenos or zeno, Zenoia, uh, a stranger. Philadelphia is loving your brother Hospita- it's translated hospitality is literally befriending the stranger, loving the stranger. It's the exact same conjunction, just a different word put on the end, brother or stranger. Uh, in Matthew chapter 25, I think Jesus kind of talks about this. When the son of man, I'm going to start in verse 31. When the son of man, he's preaching and it comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne And before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. You loved me, you befriended me, you showed hospitality to me. That's true hospitality, befriending a stranger. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And, and when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer him, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you, excuse me, you did it to me. Jesus commands his disciples to show mercy through hospitality, by loving the stranger. I wonder who is the stranger in your world? Who's the the one on the outside looking in? Who's the one that's different than you, that talks different than you, that uh, dresses different than you, that eats different food than you, that has a different family makeup than you? Who's the stranger in your world? Jesus says when you do these things to them, you're doing them as unto him. See, Paul tells us in Romans to contribute to the needs of the saints, but also to seek to show hospitality. And in Galatians he tells us, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Especially those who are of the household of faith. But notice he doesn't say exclusively to those who are of the household of faith. He says to show it to everyone. To show hospitality to everyone. To the, Who's the stranger in your life? There's a handful that come to my mind. Who I've really failed to show hospitality and love toward. Yet that's what it looks like, I believe, to, to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God is to show hospitality to people. Yes, to people within the household of faith, absolutely, but, it, but also to those who don't yet know Jesus. Well, why? Well, because they bear God's image. Some people will say, well, showing hospitality gives dignity to somebody. No, no it doesn't. It affirms dignity in that person. They already have dignity because they bear God's image. It's not uh, giving them dignity. It's affirming the dignity that they have. And so by showing hospitality, by befriending the stranger, you're, you're affirming their dignity as a child of God. And, that's why, and you're doing then unto Jesus whatever you're doing unto them. Because they bear his image. As a, as a human being, they bear God's image. And so hospitality then is is establishing justice on this personal scale. Jesus personalizes it for us. He he tells us to pay attention to how we treat those who can't fend for themselves. The hungry, the foreigner, the naked, the sick, children, the unborn. Do not not neglect uh, to show hospitality to strangers. uh, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Excuse me, the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 13, verse 2, for thereby some have entertained Entertained angels unaware. You know, um, I I think sometimes churches struggle with this. And the church as a whole can struggle with this. But the local church especially can struggle with this either as a church ages or as a church grows. Because as we age, we kind of get used to life how it's always been. And it's just always been this way. And so the stranger comes in and we're maybe friendly, but we're maybe not hospitable. Or hi, how you doing? But not, hey, be one of us. That's the difference, right? To to be hospitable is to really befriend the stranger. And sometimes when we age, we just we don't even realize it, but we just get caught in our patterns and we we fail to be hospitable. But sometimes too as we grow. You know, I I just, I wonder, you know, I think about this and pray about this a lot and I see good things happening in our church and as more and more people uh, maybe walk through our doors, people who are very much unlike us walk in. What's really can be tricky sometimes for a church to do is to embrace people who are different than us and be hospitable towards them and what's really easy to do is go, hmm, they talk different, they look different, I don't want to lose my church. Except, no offense, but it ain't your church. Jesus is the senior pastor and it's his church, amen? So, so let's be very uh, conscientious because we do this by default. All of us do this to one degree or another, no matter what your makeup, background, anything. But to be very conscientious to, to live out hospitality to new people and to the stranger among us so that they no longer are a stranger. That's what hospitality is about. Amen? And, and so we do that in our church. We do that in our neighborhoods. Um, Peter even tells us in 1 Peter 4, 8, 9, above all, keep loving one another earnestly because love covers a multitude of t- of sins. Show hospitality to one another then without grumbling. Amen? So just as we close, a, f- a few other verses here. Uh, of. of this, this command of God to love the stranger because you were once one. See, he says in Colossians, Paul does, you were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, but now he, Jesus, has reconciled you to the Father. Deuteronomy ten nineteen, love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. That's who you are. So love the stranger, show hospitality. Leviticus nineteen thirty three, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. Treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. Love those who are different than you, in other words, God is saying. And then finally, Ephesians chapter 2. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at the same time separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise. You had no hope and you were without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Amen. So friends, uh, God God establishes order and justice for human flourishing. We're to submit to that order as submitting to God and then we're to work with him to cultivate human flourishing by pulling away barriers for those uh, who would benefit from that flourishing. We're we're to do justice, to love mercy and to show kindness. And I wanna close just with this. This is a lyric from a song by by a guy by the name of Tim Timmons. Called Let's Be Beautiful. But he writes this. I think See, See if you've ever been at a wedding, and this describes your experience at a wedding. Everybody waits for the moment the bride comes out. Isn't that true? Because what happens at the wedding? Everybody does what? They stand up, they're just waiting for her. Open up the doors and watch her walk down the aisle, asking, Is she lovely? Is she shining? Is she looking at the one she loves? As you know, Jesus calls us his bride. He says, uh, everybody's watching. Everybody's wondering what we're all about. When we open up the doors, is religion all that walks out? Are we lovely? Are we shining? Are we looking at the one we love? Or is his glory divided because we're looking at ourselves too much? Let's go and show hospitality, amen? Bring justice to a world in great need of God's love. Let me pray. Father, thanks for Jesus and thanks for the example that you give us in him. Uh, Father, you call us to do justice, to uh, to love mercy, to walk humbly with you. Lord, the reality is even uh, when we try to do that we fail and in our own self deception we can think we're doing it but we're failing and sometimes dealing with that or coming to terms or face to face with that can be frustrating and hard and it requires grace Holy Spirit would you uh, guide us as a church and as your people that in whatever realm uh, in which you've sent us would you help us to do that to, to do justly by those that were around to love mercy toward them not to dish out always what they deserve but to show mercy to them and love that would you help us in all things then to walk humbly with you? Because that's the only way we're going to be able to do that and know uh, the right ways to do that. Help us too to show hospitality, Jesus, as a church and as individuals to those who are new or who are different than us. I, I believe that, that your design uh, for, for the church is to be a reflection of of your creativity in in different types of people and in different skin colors and in different backgrounds. and Lord, that's a hard thing to do because we're all different, yet it's a beautiful thing when it happens. So help us to live out that hospitality toward one another and especially toward those uh, who are strangers that they might become one with us and with you. Lord, I pray for those today who've never trusted you Uh, what today might be the day that they would uh, repent of their sin and Jesus turn to you and your justice on the cross and your mercy toward them by giving them eternal life. Lord, we love you. We praise you for your goodness. And we pray all this in Jesus, our Savior. Amen.